Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. I'm Josh Norris here and only here with John Daigle. Daigsy, what's up, buddy? The only people in the office today. Well, there are a handful. You know, my first year here, which was forever ago, like six years, mm-hmm. I came in, and Chris Hallen, shout out to him. Uh, we came in on the day before Thanksgiving because we thought that's what all good employees did, and we were the only ones, literally the only ones. And so we we're like, oh, we'll just leave at noon. Um, we did get chicken and waffles for lunch, though. Oh. I remember. It's weird, like, what days you remember and which ones you don't along the way. Like, this is a much deeper conversation. But um, I always think about this, and maybe this is just the summation of me living alone. But I'm, you have, do you have siblings, Tegel? Yes, I have one younger sister okay. and two nephews and one niece. Okay. Well, I didn't ask about nephews and nieces. And a mother and father. Okay. And I'm sure you've gone on family vacations together, family trips as well. Oh, yeah. So you have experienced the same experiences as your sister. Yet I'm sure if you compare notes on when you were seven or eight on these family vacations, you would take different memories from those than she would. You remember different points than she would. And to me, that always fascinates me because while you were riding on this train at the same exact time, you two take different moments and keep them the rest of your life than the other person did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I guess it's not as big of a deal as I'm making it out to be in my head. <laughs> I mean, you're just kind of saying... What memories are. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but like you two had the same structure, a very similar one growing up, yet you two remember different points of that. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's fascinating. I mean, this is isn't totally that, different podcast. No, 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 it's fine. It's just, isn't that just the outlook of life, though? Like, two strangers. The one I always use for uh, why someone always stays positive and no one ever has a bad day or whatever, it's like you walk in, two strangers are drinking coffee at, at a restaurant or at a cafe, I guess you should say. Um, same structure of life, make the same money, um, do the same thing, same family situation, everything, but one person's miserable and the other person's happy. Mm-hmm. It's just the outlook of life. Like, Well, it is, but I, more I so— I guess you probably think on it more than me because I just I just know it's logical. And it's weird. It's it's strange, I would say. That's it is the, because, that's the again, word I use. you two have strange. come from the same exact foundation or yeah. experience the same exact thing. It's not like you versus a stranger. It's you versus someone who is had the same exact experience anyways. 
you know, what, this is what we think about also, when we just have a dog and we're 31 years old. <laughs> I mean, it also just depends on genes and everything. Like, I, I got my mother's passive nature, uh-huh. whereas uh, my sister's wound up, buddy. Okay. Just like so my father. Like, there. if you met Mr. Daigle, who is just Randy Marsh from South Park, you you would notice that, yes, they are just wound up on that side of the family. Did he have a massive lumberjack beard at some point, too? No, he looks like Danny DeVito, actually. This is not, okay. Uh, this is so wonderful. I'll show you a picture later. This is beautiful. All right. So today, as you know, it's just me and Dig. We'll actually bring in stats. Producer Rob Guerrero a little bit later on. Talk about his 49ers. But these are the six games from the weekend that we are going to focus on. Sunday matchups plus one for Monday. Um, we did have a Thanksgiving Day slate podcast, those three games. Check it out. It's the one prior to this, and that was with Ian Harditz. There's some great games this weekend. Daigle, let's start off with the Tennessee Titans at the Indianapolis Colts, who are 6-5, and five, both teams are, and the Colts are two-point favorites at home. I'll simply say that this is likely a playoff eliminator for whichever team loses this contest. And the Titans are now rolling. Like, over the ever since Ryan Tannehill has been under center, as J.J. Zacharyson noted on Twitter, late-round quarterback, only Lamar Jackson has outscored Ryan Tannehill in fantasy among quarterbacks. And, yes, he has a rushing floor. He's rushed for at least 37 yards in each of his last three games. But even so, it is, it is crazy what they are getting out of him. And it's obviously not what we expected, right? We just knew they grew tired of Marcus Mariota, but Ryan Tannehill is performing what they thought Mariota's floor was, mm. and that clearly wasn't even the case for his ceiling. Yeah, are the Titans fun? I have that written down, and I think they absolutely are. You look at it with Derrick Henry, who is just able to, when the Titans get a lead early in games, run over opposing defenses in the second half. He is kind of the ultimate closer at the running back position. Ryan Tannehill, as you mentioned, is playing himself into a franchise tag, which is something heading into this year we didn't really expect to say. We might have thought that maybe the Titans were going to be in the quarterback market in 2020. They might still be in some way, but almost certainly Ryan Tannehill is going to be their starter in 2020. Then you have A.J. Brown, who I continue to push as one of the best young receivers in football, despite him only getting 31 catches so far this season. He's the team-leading receiver, and he has rare movement skills for someone who is his size. Titans have won four or five. The Colts here, on the other hand, Daigle, have lost three of five. This is a team that was so well-coached that – doesn't lose by big margins, doesn't win by big margins. They play close close games. And at some point, how well they were coached both offensively and defensively and winning in those tight margins was going to catch up to them in the last three to five weeks it has. The good news is, though, is that they have answered for Marlon Mack. Like, they gave Jonathan Williams elite usage, and we talked about it. Jonathan Williams in the preseason is a guy we always liked. We liked him out of college. He's a very talented individual. And they gave him a surplus of touches that I didn't expect. They didn't even get Jordan Wilkins involved whatsoever. Didn't give him a snap. It was more uh, Williams handling 26 of 35 carries against the Texans and pounding out over 100 yards on 26 touches against the Texans is actually good since Gus Edwards had been the only back to eclipse 100 yards in the past season against them. So it looks like their offense will continue doing so with Jonathan Williams on the ground. However, if T.Y. Hilton, we know he may have re-aggravated his calf injury. If T.Y. Hilton can't go, I am still concerned because although Zach Pascal is getting the usage, it's just they really don't have another answer. Eric Ebron was their most explosive guy, and now he's done for the year. And it's not that either of these teams right now are locked into the playoffs, but whoever loses most likely is out because right now you have – the fifth seed 
Bills at eight and three, and the six seed Steelers at six and five. Again, the winner of this game will be seven and five. And I agree with you, with T.Y. Hilton. I mean, he played twenty-five snaps last week, thirty-seven percent. So it's not like he didn't play at all. But based on the stat sheet, he didn't play at all. He certainly was not healthy. And that's one of those situations that, for fantasy football, we hate because yeah. it's like, well, he's going to play, and if he's playing, you're going to start him. And then. When he played, he didn't really play, and so it all didn't matter, and he basically put up a zero in your lineup. The Colts get the coaching edge, obviously, with Frank Reich, but we are getting into Derrick Henry territory. We are. Because remember, uh, in September, Derrick Henry in his career has averaged 9.6 fantasy points, October 7.4, November 12.1, and then you get into December 16.4. And if you want to take it further, January in wildcard bursts or whenever week 17 was in January, 17.2. Just the more touches he gets, the more we move along here. And logically, it makes sense. It's not really a narrative because he is a big dude winding down defensive hmm. players who were just tired from 12 games played that far in isolation i've really enjoyed watching harold landry who's an edge rusher for the tennessee titans as well really loved him coming out of boston college he was a second round selection for some reason despite being able to rush the passer and he has eight sacks in his second season and he's really emerging there um i i favor the titans here i know the colts again are two-point favorites but part of that is because they are at home i just think the titans are playing good football right now and and having a tennessee team that is fun across the nfl it lifts me up a little bit. makes me a little optimistic about and, them. And as we said, they're great for fantasy. They are. All right, let's move on to the next game, maybe the game of the weekend. It's in the 1 o'clock window. San Francisco 49ers at the Baltimore Ravens. 9-2 and two Ravens, 10-1 and one 49ers. Ravens here are six-point favorites at home. I wonder how much of that, Daigle, is them coming off that ridiculous uh, win over the Rams. But I believe Retrebar pointed out, that the Ravens are the first team ever to win three straight games by 30, at least 34 points. So this mm-hmm. is a ridiculous run that the that the Ravens are on right now. I mean, you know what it is, right? It's just books trying to prepare themselves to take on the Ravens each and every week because yeah. people just continue, the public in particular, um, a lot of sharps were actually getting the hook on the Rams plus three and a half Monday night. And it wasn't a bad spread, but the public just keep coming in and pounding the Ravens and it, they haven't had any reason not to because this Ravens team is arguably the best in the NFL. It's the most unique. It's the most fun to watch. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the, the books are just preparing to take on more and more as we continue moving along. But I would say, and we said this about the Patriots, we said this about the Rams, uh, I guess we can say this is their toughest test, but even if they play Lamar Jackson right, does it matter? I don't know. You know, it's one of those situations where I see on Twitter people saying that the 49ers faced Russell Wilson, did very well against him. They faced Kyler Murray, and those are both two movement quarterbacks, mm-hmm. mobile quarterbacks. This is a different animal They're that you're facing, King though, Lamar, yeah. with the Ravens. Like, this is an offense that no defense in the NFL is prepared to face on a weekly basis. You have to change your game plan like considerably you have to change your outlook and and your plan um and it's one where since you don't see it on a repeatable basis you have no idea what to expect until you get there on game day i'm not saying well it's because you know we don't hit in practice in practice anymore with pads and it's it's because that you know so many of these defensive linemen are taught to, hey, let's get up the field as quickly as possible. Well, when you're getting double teamed at the line of scrimmage, when you're having to read which back, Eric Weddle said this about the Rams, that half the time he didn't even know who had the football when he was watching this Ravens team play. A Ravens team who he played for in previous years. 
So if someone who's been that close to the team has no idea what they're going to do on a down-to-down basis, it's really scary for the rest of the NFL. And again, I don't just like you. I don't know how they stopped them, honestly. Uh, Marquise Brown, you're still playing. He his snap rate jumped back up to I believe it was 63 percent, which was good. But again, they didn't. They weren't needed once again for the third week in a row in the fourth quarter. So they were all just benched once again. However, you continue going back to Brown and Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson each and every week. Doesn't matter. Let's bring in producer stats here because big 49ers fan. You know, when I criticize them from time to time, he gets on my case about it. So stats, simple question. How do you feel about your team right now? I feel, how could I not feel good about my team? They have a defense <laughs> that's doing historically good things and they have the second highest scoring offense in the league. What's not to like? Well, how do you feel about this matchup though? Because sure, you've done that against the Cardinals defense. You've done that this past week. Um, against the Green Bay Packers, but what do you think about this Ravens team that really is more like part of me has wanted to go back and watch those two losses to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns in week three and week four, the Ravens, and see how it happened. And I think if I'm remembering back correctly, it happened because the opposing team was able to get up on the scoreboard quickly. And we know that the 49ers are best offensively, and really any team is, when they can do that offensively. But I really think that that's how the 49ers are built as well. Absolutely. That's the best because it avoids Jim Garoppolo, which is what I call the guy that throws all those stupid interceptions. When the 49ers get in that situation where they have to come back, I think that's the best chance to see Jimmy Garoppolo do something dumb. So if the 49ers get up early, obviously it bodes well for the rest of the game. Dagle, any concern about where this 49ers rushing attack is right now, specifically looking at Tevin Coleman? I'm a big Tevin Coleman fan, have Mm -hmm. been this year. I've been starting him constantly, even with Matt Breida and even without Matt Breida. And his last uh, he's rushed for 40 or fewer yards in each of his past four games, 44 carries for 116 yards in that span. I just think all the injuries have something to do with it. And this is a guy, as we said, still splitting snaps with whomever is behind him. And the four-touchdown game absolutely put his uh, median projection out of perspective for the rest of the season. Like, everyone mm. just assumed this is his career now um, ahead of all the their other backs. And as we said, temper your expectations. That is absolutely not the case, and it hasn't been. Mostert will be involved if Breida doesn't get back. Breida, obviously, though, I still, I still think is faster than Tevin Coleman. I still think is more explosive than Tevin Coleman. Mm. It's obviously a question mark whether he can stay on the field, even if he's in for this one. But they need that preferred two-headed combo back. Stats, you regrettably have to listen to every single show that we put out there. Do you think? <laughs> do you think that I've been unfair to Jimmy Garoppolo this year? This is a selfish question, but you know, I, I, I look in the mirror. I ask myself. I take a step back and wonder, like, if. If my comments and criticisms about certain players are warranted, have mine been so far this year with Jimmy? I think mostly yes. The the thing about Jimmy Garoppolo is the worst all the worst things he does show up in highlight packages. All the best things he does don't. Are Wait, you accusing me of just watching highlights here, stats? No, but I think if you Listen, I'm a Niners <laughs> fan. Yes. I'm yes, taking the deep dive. Like, I'm watching specifically, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah. I feel like the best things he does are the little things that, you know, especially from a fantasy perspective, are not the stuff that you care about. Wow. Okay. I would totally disagree with you there. Um, it's one of those situations where, you know, we had this with Kirk Cousins a little bit, right? Like, each and every week we have just a review of his career. And it was like that with Jimmy But I I think as of late, he has hit his stride now if he completely just eliminates. I think with me, Stats, is I believe that this team 
has a Super Bowl run in them, right? And so rather than just having playoff expectations for this team and the players in it for the playoffs, I'm thinking of them for the NFC title game. I'm reviewing them and evaluating them for the Super Bowl. And when I consider those two performances, like those spotlight island games, I think that a quarterback can't make some of the mistakes that Jimmy makes. And that's what it comes down to me. And sure, maybe then I focus too much on those. But again, this team is talented enough to get to that point. They've overcome enough already to get to that point. And a quarterback who's throwing interceptions in the red zone, who's turning the football over in his own area, who's missing throws, it, it takes a lot for a total team to overcome those types of mistakes at that position. And he has made them, and I, I can't fight you on that because it's obvious. But, like, look at the last Cardinals game they played. What, I think he completed 32 passes, yet everybody wants to talk about the two interceptions that he threw. Yeah. I mean, he's played high-scoring games. He's played close games. He has two touch, game-winning touchdown passes with less than 90 seconds on the clock. He's won in a monsoon when they played Washington. I mean, you check every box. Okay. They've won every kind of game you can win this year. Yeah, and it's fair. And, you know, it's probably not even fair to have this conversation right now with how I look at it. It's more of like an NFC Championship Super Bowl conversation. But I hope they get there. I mean, they're really fun. Daigle, who do you think the X factor is in this game? Because I go down the list. Like, there's Debo Samuel. There's obviously the cornerbacks, defensive backs. If I denominate one, it would be DJ Jones along the 49ers defensive line, who's this big, menacing presence that can be an anchor across the middle. And if the 49ers are able to stop the run, because it's not like their defensive line are, are massive, big, run-defending bodies. Right? They, they get up the field. They create disruption. And so I'm a little bit concerned outside of DJ Jones, despite how talented that group is, if they're going to be able to hold up against the scheme for the, for the Ravens. Uh, if healthy, I would think it's Quan Williams because we know uh, Lamar Jackson prefers to tar- target the slot. That's really where all of their production. It's kind of like we look at the Saints and all of the targets only go to Kamara and Michael Thomas and then sprinkling in your Gins and uh, Traquan Smith and Jared Cook. But it is Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews all from the slot. And we saw Miles Boykin get a little explosive catch there at the end of the game. But, of course, that came from Robert Griffin. And so the outsides, really, where Richard Sherman's going to roam, they don't really matter for this offense, honestly. Mm. They'll pound marking him up the middle. Lamar Jackson will do his dance around defensive ends, and then they will go right back to the middle. So if you can defend the middle of the field, I think it gives you an edge. But I, I, I still don't think they have an edge. Honestly. I liked how they, the Ravens got Marquise Brown involved really early and, and often. And that was something that we saw pretty early in the season with them, like multiple targets on the first drive. And it seems like, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they use them in the middle of the field in the slot quite a bit. And he's just a mismatch in that area. And it helps that, for the Niners anyways, getting George Kittle back, everything looked like they just run much more smoother. And, of course, that is a Packers defense that has just allowed, I believe they're the most yards per play among all defenses since week four. And so even even then, though, it helps to get George Kittle back because everything just runs better with him on the field. Uh, Debo Samuel, offensively, though, is the X factor for the Niners Great. because can he beat Marcus Peters? Can he beat Jimmy Smith on the outside? That's the big question mark. And his rise has been huge. I mean, yeah. stats, you know this. He started off the season as a manufactured touch play. Player. And just in a, sh- a few short weeks, he has been able to be an actual wide receiver. And then, as we know, he was really drafted to 
win after the catch, and he certainly did that in that catch and run last week. It's not happening this year. He's going to miss the entire season, but Jalen Hurd in this offense is going to be fun. Yeah, just a little extra. I mean, I it, mean, but a little extra is a lot for Mike Shanahan. Sure. For Cal I, Shanahan. I, and I would love to see Emmanuel Sanders be back to like 75% snaps, yeah. 80%, because last we need two him weeks, at full health. Yeah, it's just 47% and 67 I will, I will say this. And again, it's another task for Jimmy Garoppolo. But since acquiring Marcus Peters, the Ravens have shut down Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, and Deshaun Watson. That's not mentioning someone like Jared Goff. That's not mentioning some of these other, you know, lowly quarterbacks across the league. So, and and not just stop them, like as you shut said, them shut them down. Uh, as Ian Harditz always points out, Thanksgiving is a time for deals. It's the time for sales. No one loves a deal, I've found out, more than Ian Harditz. Well, everyone out there, we have a deal for you. Roto World is having its first ever Black Friday sale, and you won't even have to fight through those mobs like Ian likes to do of angry shoppers at a department store to take advantage. We have two huge Black Friday bundles available. If you pre-order the MLB Draft Guide and Season Pass for $35, you get the 2019 NFL, NHL, and NBA Season Passes for free. And if you're looking for that added edge in the fantasy playoffs and looking to dominate in baseball as well, this deal is for you. It's a $100 value. And if you play DFS, you won't be able to beat the Black Friday sale bundle. If you pre-order the MLB Draft Guide, Season Pass, and DFS Toolkit for $130, then you'll get the 2019 NFL, NHL, and NBA Season Pass and the DFS Toolkit. Yep, that's free. That's All lot. of that for free. That's a $430 value for, I believe, $130. And remember that the NFL... DFS Toolkit can help you create winning lineups all the way through the Super Bowl, as John Daigle always points out. Just go to rotoworld.com slash win to learn more and take advantage of these huge deals. Free and a long read. Yes. (laughs) Extensive. Everyone out there is welcome, especially you, Ed Williams. that's That's how great the deals are. All right. Next up, those L.A. Rams that we just talked about who got dominated by the Baltimore Ravens going to Arizona, getting three points. No, excuse me, giving three points. Um, we know the Cardinals are three, seven, and one. The Rams still somehow are six and five. But Daigle, this is an important stretch for people in their fantasy season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people still trying to get in in the final week or people going into their playoffs pretty soon, if not now. Easy question. Can you rely on any Rams offensive players right now? So in this matchup in particular, I think you can. Okay. Because Jared Goff has been a performer against terrible defenses and then has just been completely wiped off the face of the earth against bad defenses. We have not seen Jared Goff throw a touchdown in the great USA since week seven because they had that Bengals game in London, recall. But this season, Jared Goff against the Bucks, 27.6 fantasy points. Against the Seahawks, 21. Against the Falcons, 25. Against the Bengals, 25. And then you look at his last three contests, Steelers, Bears, and Ravens, six points each. So if there were ever a game for this offense to get out the snide, and Robert Woods came back, had a 25% target share, it would be this one game. So recency bias and how how bad, how truly horrible the Rams have looked obviously tells us to get away completely. But I do think this is a sneaky game that the Rams could, if not contend, at least put up three to four touchdowns on the Cardinals. Hmm. Well, they definitely should contend. I mean, they're favorites here. They have the better roster. This is my deal right now with, like, some apologist that Jared Goff still has out there. And it's not in, like, the national media. It's not in the Twitter world that we live in. It's probably from Rams fans. Seeing a lot of, well, they have an awful offensive line. You know, they can't run the ball. Wide receivers are missing time. 
your quarterback cannot elevate a single person on his own team, and that is a major issue. There are other – you look across the field in this matchup to Kyler Murray. You have an awful individual piece offensive line, yet they are able as a unit to create big plays. You have Keyshawn Johnson running on the outside. You have Demir Bird. You have Farrell Cooper who your Rams cut making plays because the quarterback and the head coach – are creating these opportunities. They are so often, and I understand, like, one is an athlete and one is basically me on the football field Mm -hmm. and Jared Goff, okay? Kyler Murray is unreal, though, because you go back to early in his season, like against the Atlanta Falcons, his left tackle giving up instant disruption, him ducking it, him not deciding to leave the pocket and run down the field, instead resetting, firing over the middle of the field for 25, 30 yards. And the major thing, whenever I look at Kyler's game, is that, He's making all of these plays, and now even more so running the football as well as we've seen the last few weeks. He's not turning the football over. He's not turning the football over. Meanwhile, you have Jared Goff, 12 interceptions, I believe, a handful of fumbles as well. It's a major issue right now with the Rams because nothing is going right, and that offense has dropped all the way down to 22nd in offensive DVOA. That's what they have to do against the Cardinals. The uh, five picks and four fumbles, I think it is, over the last three games for the Rams. Like, that's what has to stop for Jared Goff, the, those turnovers. But like I said, I, I think this is a, actually a good matchup for the Rams offense. Well, make a play. Like, make a play, <laughs> you know? I, I understand that you aren't a playmaker, that you right. can't win outside of structure, that you have to play within the plan of the offense. Okay, then why are you a top five earner at the quarterback position right now? It, it makes no sense. This has been an awful self-evaluation spree for the Rams right now. Todd Gurley's contract, Jared Goff's contract, Brandon Cook's contract is disgusting. And it really makes you wonder if this team finishes, what, around 500 possibly, how, how much of the spending spree that they went on is going to impact them long-term. They have the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Cowboys – the 49ers, and then the Cardinals again to close out the schedule. Easily could lose three of those five games. You end 500. You don't have a first-round pick, I believe, until 2021, mm-hmm. 2022. I don't know where this Rams team goes other than investing so much in your offensive line because you had this wall the past two years that hit a trash can, and now you have a broken fence, and the trash can at quarterback is just evident behind it. I'm, I'm being too harsh. No, no, you're being correct. It's it's just the way they built the team, though, right? Like, they built it incorrectly. They they did not uh, – they thought it was long-term view, but it's obviously just short-term view because now – and it's it's easy to escape the cap. That's why I usually don't worry about the cap too much. Their teams will find a way around it. We always find ways around it. But the Rams have basically focused a majority of their cap on those five players you mentioned, and they have Jalen Ramsey's contract coming up. So how right. do they how do they get out of it? And everything? he has ridiculous, ludicrous leverage. Yeah. Oh yeah. As he should. Right. And they're the ones who traded for him. So yes. it's their fault, right? They just built short term, um, and their offense continued to struggle. On the other side of the ball, though, I was ranking David Johnson last night. And so I got through the ranks and I posted everyone who had a bye week and there's like 68 running backs I had in front of me and we rank on the premium pass the top 50 running backs every week. And uh, I got done with the top 50 and David Johnson's just sitting there outside yeah. the top 50 and I'm like, yeah, that feels really good actually. Let's just wipe our hands clean of this mess 
because Chase Edmonds is coming back. We don't have a clue. Like, even if someone tells you they know how to project this backfield and, like, Kenyon Drake's a safe option, Kenyon Drake, I agree, is the safest option. But what does that really entail? Like, we don't know how Chase Edmonds is going to be involved. David Johnson has now had 14 days to get healthy. We don't know if and how he'll be involved as well. So it's a confusing situation. And I would just imagine they continue using everyone. Like, Larry Fitzgerald hasn't passed 73 yards receiving since, or 71 yards receiving since week two. Uh, It's just, he's just gone. Uh, his 37 yards and touchdown before the bye is kind of his ceiling game now. He's basically the Jason Witten of wide receivers. Um, more explosive, doesn't eat sugar, looks better than Jason Witten, has better hair. But still, that's his ceiling now at his age and in this offense. So Christian Kirk and Kyler are really the only ones you can trust as like top 20 plays. I think we can trust, though, that Kenyon Drake gets at least 10 to 12 touches. Yeah, that's what I said. He's definitely the safest option. Yeah, I agree with that. And Credit to Arizona. And, again, they're not a great football team. So much of it is because Steve Kime hasn't been able to inject basically any talent into this team other than Kyler Murray. They are 3-7-1. and one. But Kyler has been a top-six scorer in five of his past seven games. You're starting it here. I think if you want to play him in cash or whatever, you can play him naked. You can play him by himself. Oh, look at you with DFS talk. Because he, he, what did you he spreads the ball that? around extremely well to everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gets everyone involved so that there doesn't have to be this one wide receiver that you stack him with. And really, Cliff Kingsbury, I think, deserves a lot of credit. You know, early this season, it might have been when you are dealing with a back injury, but I so commented – that Cliff was so passive. He lacked aggression. I think it might have been the Panthers game. It might have been a different one. But there were like three or four occasions on fourth and short where he either elected to punt or go for field goals, and like three of those were within the 10-yard line. And I believe that was week three or week four. That has changed drastically now to Cliff Kingsbury being one of the top five, I believe, most aggressive head coaches and going for it in fourth down scenarios. And it's not just garbage time when they have to. He is being aggressive, and he knows now that he is a quarterback that can make plays in those moments. Because Kyler, again, if you remember back, it seems like forever ago, he wasn't running in those moments. Mm-hmm. And now he's so much more willing to be the focal point playmaker in this team, and he's so good. He's already so good. It will be interesting to see if they get Isabella involved after the bye more, if they integrate him more. I doubt they have, but it will be interesting. And then it will also be interesting to see who they add at receiver since that's what they're missing. They're missing playmakers. I really don't think there's anything more the Cardinals could have asked for in Cliff Kingsbury in his first season. No, and this comes after, like, the first three weeks we were concerned. It's like, oh, he doesn't have answers, and he actually adjusted. And now they've moved all the way up to the top 10, a top 10 defense in DVOA. And again, masking their offensive line, which it is really one of the worst comes down leagues. to Steve Kime just adding more talent. And I don't know if he's the right person for the job. He hasn't been doing that for or adding enough talent in recent years, especially in the first round. Mm-hmm. But Cliff, from a play caller perspective, from a design perspective, and now from a moment to moment game perspective, is is making really, really good calls. It should be a high scoring affair. All right. Next one. Oklahoma. I said Oklahoma. Oakland Raiders. And Oklahoma. <laughs> Going to Kansas City, Chiefs here favored by ten. They are seven and four. The Raiders just one game behind at six and five. Uh, again, ten point spread here, a total of fifty one and a half. We know the Raiders are coming off a thirty four to three loss on the road to New York. This one isn't an East Coast game, but we could absolutely see the Chiefs put up thirty four points on the Raiders this week as well. Yeah, I'm well. We. 
how do I say this? Uh, Oakland, we had high hopes, and we knew their point margin, right, heading into that Jets game was was hideous. It was still very bad, but they were still playing efficiently, not the most explosive, but at least an efficient offense. And then we saw what happens when Josh Jacobs can't get the ball going because then Derek Carr simply doesn't have another answer. Talbert Williams continues getting so few opportunities that this offense is not one that picks up 20-plus yard plays unless Josh Jacobs single-handedly does it. And when they can't run like they couldn't run against the Jets, it presented an issue. Now they lost Hunter Renfro, who had been leaned on, uh, saw as many targets as Darren Waller did since week eight. Um, So now they have even fewer options to go to in this already limited offense. The good news is you can run against the Chiefs. The Chiefs still have the dead last rush defense DVOA in the the league. But how can you run against the Chiefs if they're going to put up 21 on you, like out of the the gates immediately because your secondary is still horrendous? Yeah, it's a great point um, because we talked about earlier in this episode, if offenses go up, then they can just dictate the game. Well, it would be shocking if the Chiefs don't go up early. Yeah. Because overall, like you talk about how the Chiefs' defense, run defense is bad. Well, their pass defense is not. And I understand probably part of that is that teams can just key in on the run if they take an early lead and they have lost four games. But the Raiders just overall are bad defensively. Mm-hmm. Like there is not a strong point. Max Crosby might be that strong point. And if you're relying on one pass rusher to have four sacks in every game for you to be adequate, good luck. Good luck. And Patrick Mahomes is someone who was obviously regressed. I wouldn't say necessarily from a play perspective, but obviously from a production perspective. And it's being felt here. Although Tyreek Hill should be back in this game. Mm -hmm. Um, He did deal with a hamstring injury, missed most of their last contest. They are coming off a bye. Travis Kelsey's touchdown regression is hit as well. Mm -hmm. There are questions in this backfield. I think there are questions overall with this Chiefs team. I'm not uber confident in them because I still think they're perceived as a top five, top six team in the NFL, but I feel much less strong about them in 2019 as I did in 2018. Big picture, yes, because they're, now their pass defense has gotten much better, right? That's that's their strength now on that side of the ball. But rushing-wise, what are you going to do when Sonny Michelle punches you in the mouth for 20 carries in the playoffs? What are you going to do when Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram come to town? Uh, you probably can't stop them, honestly, with the way your defense is built right now. So big picture, yes, I am worried, despite having what will be the best player, the best quarterback on the field, even when they play the Ravens in the playoffs. Uh, and this matchup, though, not really worried. It is funny. Even with Tyreek Hill leaving, Sammy Watkins got three targets in that Monday night game against the Chargers because we know what Sammy Watkins is. So even though Mahomes is under center, we still can't trust Watkins in an otherwise mm-hmm. juicy matchup. Nicole Harmon played 52 snaps because he was, as he was at the beginning of the season, the replacement for Tyreek Hill. But I would imagine that is now scaled back because you're going to get the same receivers involved as have been. And then we go to this backfield, and that's the question marks everyone has. Uh, At the time of this recording, we don't have a Chiefs injury report just yet. But last we saw, Damian Williams left with a ribs injury. LaShawn McCoy had a concussion, but apparently he's not in the league's protocol. And then there's Darrell Williams behind them. The Chiefs added Elijah McGuire to the practice squad, which is sort of an ominous sign that maybe Damian Williams won't be good to go. But I would think if Damian Williams is out, the order is LaShawn McCoy and then Darrell Williams as a flex play. And then if Damian Williams is in, it's kind of hard to trust both, but I guess you're firing up Damian Williams slightly over LaShawn McCoy. These two teams played in week two, and again, it's a totally different season now than it was in week two. 
the Chiefs won 28 to 10. And Patrick Mahomes had touchdown throws of 44, 42, 27, and 39 yards. And must I remind you, Tyreek Hill wasn't in the game either right. in week two. He was injured in that contest. And he most likely will play uh, in this game. The biggest issue I have with the Raiders is that they just have the inability to reset. You know, mm-hmm. like when they get swarmed, when they go down quickly, they don't have this. And it, it, it's it's really a sign of playoff teams. It's really a sign of championship contenders when you can, like, take that punishment early but somehow have multiple stretches of solid defensive play and then your offense gets back into the game. No faith that the Raiders can do that at all. Yeah, and Derek Carr is only going deep on less than 10% of his passes. He's 13 of 30. Super efficient, though, Raiders fans will tell you. Super <sighs> they, efficient they there. They always say super efficient. He's thir- 13 of 32 on 20-plus yard attempts, uh, which is a 9.5% deep rate among his, his yeah. pass attempts. It's hideous. Yeah, he's like 32nd or 33rd among quarterbacks and how many attempts yeah. they're throwing down the field. Yet, at one point, he was like top five in efficiency across the league. Which, however, is good for Darren Waller because now Hunter Renfro's out of the way. And recall, the Raiders' first eight games, Darren Waller, 26% target share, 8.3 looks per game. And now the la- since the last five for the Raiders, with Renfro more involved, Darren Waller plummeted to an 18% share and 5.6 targets per game. So I would imagine Waller now boosts back up and becomes the number one option every single week. Let's go to Sunday Night Football. This is the New England Patriots at the Houston Texans. Fun game. Patriots, three-point favorites on the road. They are 10 and 1. As we know, the Texans are 7 and 4. I'm kind of, I know that like Deshaun Watson never loses games really by big numbers. Like he always is able to keep his team competitive. But with what we think about the Patriots, with what their record is, with how they travel, why are they only three point favorites here? And I'll go one step further, Daigle, because the line started at four and a half and has dropped all the way down to three. So that means some money, some direction is going towards the Houston Texans in this one. Do you think it's more recency bias than anything? Getting back Will Fuller made the Texans look more explosive? Yeah, because as we talk about every single week here and on the Sunday show, which is Roto World Live, noon Eastern, twitch.tv slash Roto World, we always talk about that the Texans' offense, and now their team without J.J. Watt defensively, Mm -hmm. hinges on hitting the big plays. All their losses you can point back to and say they weren't able to hit DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills down the field. Will Fuller last week immediately returned and was a major threat. But talking about the Patriots defense here, maybe one of the most talented, if not the most talented secondary in the NFL, can manufacture pressure up front. Texans line is not one that we are that scared of on the offensive side. Deshaun Watson is so good at breaking that initial first rusher, resetting, and then firing down the field. That's when a lot of the big plays come from. Okay, you have maybe the most well-coached defense in the NFL as well getting after him and probably won't allow him to have those moments against them. Do you think defensively that Gilmore likely shadows DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah. Which would then, would that free up Fuller on the opposite side or do they play the back the bracket coverage where they sort of double team using the safety? Um, it's a fair question. I would say, I, I think the five defensive backs that the Patriots trot out there often is, is the best unit in the NFL in terms of secondary. It's even better than the Ravens right now because they've been doing it for a longer stretch of time. I can't tell you how they're going to play defensively. I would be surprised if Stephon Gilmore does not match up mm-hmm. against DeAndre Hopkins. I highly doubt they put him on Will Fuller and then ask for double teams on the other side of the football. But I just don't know how an offense that thrives on defensive breakdowns 
is going to see as many defensive breakdowns as they're going to need in this Patriots defense. Am I off base here? Because, again, this was the one game and the one spread that stood out to me this week, spoke to me, some might say. And I was like, I'm not going to say they're going to win by more of a touchdown because, again, Deshaun Watson is rarely in those types of losses. Mm -hmm. But I could easily see the Patriots winning. It should be closer to, like, six than it is three right now. And it, and it could very well be that. My but it's issue, gone the opposite direction in the last few days. My issue is what do the Texans do if Hopkins and Fuller are bracketed? Like, where else do they go? Because they don't use Duke Johnson. Darren Fells is a red zone threat, but not a downfield threat. They they don't have anyone unless they are now freeing up Kenny Stills in the slot, which they did against the Colts on Thursday night. So Kenny Stills is probably the X factor among this offense, even though I do think we're going to get 25 to 30 carries from Carlos Hyde because you can attack the Patriots in the teeth of their defensive line. Uh, the last two games now, I have this in front of me, the last two games, Hopkins and Gilmore have been against one another in 2017 and 2018. And Hopkins saw eight targets, came away with three catches for 36 yards total, one interception, and two pass breakups. So uh, Gilmore has shadowed Hopkins their last two contests. So sure, let's just say that is the matchup they're going to do. And then you have to ask yourself, where else does Watson even go? This is a get-right spot for the Patriots offense as well. And they need one of those. Especially if uh, Philip Dorsett comes back. We've seen them score 13 points against the Cowboys, 17 points against the Eagles. Um, they had 20 points in a loss to the Ravens. It's, it's a question. It's a question as we approach these final few games for the Patriots down the stretch, especially with the Kansas City Chiefs looming the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for the Patriots, like, again, this is another reason why we had a long conversation on Monday's podcast with Ian on Tom Brady and – if he's still good, basically, is what Ian was pointing to, or how much does he add to this offense? You finished these final three games of the season, and even these final five. Again, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins. The Bills defense is easily the best of that group. The rest of the four, you can smash, okay? You can smash those. Mm-hmm. This is what gives me confidence that this Patriots offense is going to work its way into a unit that isn't holding back the team. And that's really all that they need to be. Like, if you put up right now 21 points on opposing teams, and maybe that changed in the playoffs, but we thought that would change in last year's playoffs, and then we saw what happened in the Super Bowl. If this Patriots offense can consistently put up 21 points, I mean, right now, the 117 points, this is from Rich Rebar, allowed by the Patriots are the fewest through 11 games of a season since 1977. And it's not just preventing points. It's also creating turnovers, creating points of their own, creating field position domination for their offense. And again, Tom's not making mistakes. Sure, he's not creating all these massive big plays because some of that's reliant on the weapons he has around him. But he's not making mistakes. And at the very least, that's something you can take with them for a Super Bowl run. And Julian Edelman hasn't missed a beat, so you're still obviously playing him as a top 10 option. Yeah, you have a primary pass catcher. Jacoby Byers, his his fundamentals are much better than Enkeel Harry's. Like, Harry is such a big, stout body that he can be used, like, as he was last week against the Cowboys in the red zone. But Myers is sort of the X factor if Dorsett is still out. And if Dorsett comes back, obviously he still leads this team in receiving touchdowns. So uh, Dorsett is someone also you can look to as, like, a wide receiver five. Against the Texans defense, you're not scared of. I still think we see the Patriots focus on one running back as we approached last year. It was Sony Michelle in the playoffs. It is Sony Michelle. It is Sony still. Michelle. 
uh, he's just touched down. He's just touched down or bust for fantasy, and he's not breaking tackles in real life. Sure. So. so has the performance warranted that? Will they do some self scouting and figure something out in the last few weeks? I mean, they could have done that with James White against the Cowboys, right? And yeah. he absolutely did absolutely nothing. He wasn't even involved. I think he only saw like three targets. So should we move on? Final game. Yep. Let's go to the final one. Monday Night Football: The Minnesota Vikings at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by three at home. 49 total in this one. Two very good teams. The Seahawks are 9-2. and two. The Vikings are 8-3. and three. We know last week Seattle was without Jadeveon Clowney. Um, and, you know, we talk about, like, Russell Wilson taking control of the offense in moments. Statistically, production-wise, from a touchdown perspective, from the points that matter to you and me, Daigle, it's not like he's really done that that often as of late. He's been the quarterback 14 or lower in five of his last seven games played. But we're not blaming that on him, right? No, but it's just it's interesting. Like, because I still think Russ obviously has the ability to take over games, mm-hmm. but it's just and he has. But it's just those moments of who scores the touchdowns. Like, how, how does it stack up week in, week out with other people that have put up points? It's just a <sighs> it's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes, right? Well, I mean, it's just the infrastructure. The yeah, it yeah, it, it's amazing to watch the Ravens. It's I could talk about the Ravens all day, every day. It's just amazing to watch people who actually want to win to their strengths, as opposed to stubborn people in charge who are just trying to win their own way to stroke their own egos. It's it's incredible. And so, Did, you, is that what you're of Shoddy and Pete Carroll right now? Absolutely, that's your thought yeah, of them. That's that's been my thought of them. Do you not see that? I mean, you go back to the playoff game that they lost against the Cowboys. It was their own doing. They deserved to lose. Imagine averaging ten yards in attempt over ten yards in attempt, but then still running the ball over 20 times for two yards a carry. Since hiring Pete Carroll, your boy, in 2010, again, another one from the good Lord Reeves, the Seahawks are 18-2 and two in home primetime games. That's a 900 <laughs> winning percentage. That's incredible. P- I mean, Pete Carroll's a player's coach, right? You're, you're not, you don't have him for his advanced statistical mind and, like, putting yourself in winning position. The, the tr- it always trickles down. It's the same Jason Garrett issue. It's coaches that – uh, preach grinding out games and, uh, oh, like it's a big one today, that attitude trickles down to your team, and that's why you play field goal games. It's not a, it's no coincidence these same teams are in one-score situations every single week because that's how they play. They want to play one-score games. They want games to come down to a field goal, and that's why they deserve to lose, honestly. There was a reason why I wanted to lead off with Russell Wilson. I forgot why it was. It yeah, was I'm because that the Vikings' corners absolutely suck. Among the worst in the league. And so do Seattle's, so we well, should have a shootout. I would say Seattle's have been a little bit better, but the Vikings have been awful. And mm-hmm. so they've been very good against the run, though. So if someone is really going to dominate in this game, it is Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf. It is Russell Wilson to maybe some more Josh Gordon. It is Russell Wilson in the slot to Tyler Lockett. But we're coming off a game when DK didn't really make any plays. Josh Gordon made plays, obviously, when Tyler Lockett went out. And then now we have Tyler Lockett coming off just a one-catch performance. So you go from not really having those three receivers make plays to now needing to rely on them in a primetime matchup. Xavier Rhodes this season. I mean, the roads are certainly not closed this year. They are wide open. You can take them whichever direction you want across the United States. 47 to 55 targets thrown his way have been caught for 525 yards and three scores. The highest NFL passer rating among all of Vikings corners is heading towards Xavier Rhodes, who's just been an afterthought and targeted weekly. Now, he would be playing against DK Metcalf, who I understand wasn't able to get much going against the Eagles, but I still think it's a great spot for Metcalf as a a top 30 play. 
Tyler Lockett's shin contusion, I think, affected him more. And we probably should have assumed that because anytime Pete Carroll speaks about injuries to the media, it is always overblown. Yeah, it's like, always positive. Always positive, yes. Uh, that, that's why they rally around him, by the way, because he's a very glass-half-full kind of person. But I think that DK Metcalf's a great play. Uh, you're starting Tyler Lockett, and maybe you worry about his injury, but you can go back to him. And Josh Gordon is what we expected. Josh Gordon is just always two weeks away from making a play because they're not going to use him. They, they can't. Yeah. This team can barely feature two wide receivers, let alone one. And although the matchup spells a great one for Russell Wilson, again, how many times the last five weeks have we seen it where it doesn't matter what the matchup says? They're going to grind Chris Carson and Penny for 20-plus touches. Let's talk about that running back situation because it's, it's imperative for fantasy football right now. Again, the final week before the playoffs. A lot of teams, and I'm talking about myself, who are making the playoffs, maybe even as the number one seed in the NBC Sports League, mm-hmm. the top league in all of this company, uh, have Chris Carson in their starting lineup. Yep. Do I still have Chris Carson in my starting lineup this week? I say yes because I am relying on, one, Chris Carson being the better football player. Two, us already overcoming this, this mountain, peaking this Everest, right? that Chris Carson fumbles, yet Pete Carroll, Mr. Optimist himself, it sticks with him. And until I see Rashad Penny in a 50-50 split, mm-hmm. I think at worst you're going to see Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, a 60-40 split in favor of Carson. That's fair. I was So Chris Carson previously throughout the year has pretty much been a borderline RB10, right? And then I was doing oh. rankings last night, and I, had him, I have him on the week at RB20. And so I, he basically became a fringe RB2, RB3, and then had Rashad Penny somewhere between RB30 and RB35. So what has happened is that Penny has helped himself, not only in his good performance, but just not fumbling the ball like Carson. Carson, as we know, seventh fumble, back-to-back plays this past week, fourth lost one, and that obviously led Penny closing the game five carries to Carson's one, five carries to Carson's one target. Carson didn't get a t- uh, carry to finish that game. So Penny, I believe, yes, will be involved in the 60-40 role and riding the waiver column. I th- now, Penny, obviously, you want to target winning running backs and winning wide receivers, running backs in particular, which is why I ranked in a vacuum Penny over Jack Doyle. But when people asked, I just said, look at your backfield. Yeah. Do you want to pick up Penny, who I think is a flex play, or do you want a starting tight end every week? Yeah. So Jack Doyle in a vacuum was probably the better pickup, and that's why I always told people you had to look at your own situation decide, which also, by the way, is waiver wire columns such hard, so hard to write. It is. But, but Rashad Penny, yes, I think he's an RB3 in flex play. And then uh, Carson lost value, but you can still at least for one more week start him. To close this one out, this is the battle of the two NFC wildcard spots right now. Seahawks are in the fifth seed. The Vikings are in the, f- the sixth seed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because the Packers right now have the third seed, and as we know, the 49ers are 10-1 and one and have the number one overall seed. Um, what about on the Vikings quickly side of this? Because yeah. it, it's an easy offense for us to diagnose. It's, it's Kirk Cousins. It's Stephon Diggs. It's Dalvin Cook in the backfield. The only question that's really out there is with Adam Thielen. Do we, one, I guess we're not sure right now if he's playing this week. Two, I think he will be. Okay. And then the last two times, though, he has suited up. It has not been a healthy suit up. Um, he had two targets, one reception for 25 yards, obviously, against the Lions. Then came back against the Kansas City Chiefs, had one target, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. So how can people, again, wanting to f- land that final playoff spot, trust 
Adam Thielen their starting lineup. How can they? Uh, they can suck it up and trust him, I guess. I don't. Okay. I, it's, you have to ask how risk averse you yourself are. The big thing, the big fallout here, though, is that remember, like Kyle Rudolph hadn't caught a touchdown. Kyle Rudolph was an afterthought without Adam Thielen, with Adam Thielen on the field, and then they went to more twelve personnel with Rudolph and Herb Smith uh, without Adam Thielen. So now with Thielen back healthy, I would imagine Rudolph. You, not only do you not start him you just don't roster him I, I think he's done now as a fantasy asset although he was explosive with Adam Thielen out the past four games another big one Dalvin Cook averaged six and a half targets without Thielen Dalvin Cook Dalvin Cook led the team in target share 20 percent the last month without Adam Thielen and then I, I don't think those targets now exist anymore either he probably goes back to two or three per game if that so Adam Thielen come back actually affects a lot of the Vikings offense but more to the point Stephon Diggs is still a top 15 play and Thielen it's just a matter of how much you trust your injury it's Wednesday he's practiced every day since uh, he did have extended rest to get healthy so I would imagine if he's on the field you're still starting him with confidence that's gonna do it for us feel good Daigle I feel better whenever we talked for a long stuffing time. is in my stomach. I feel much. You better. love stuffing. It's bread. It's my it's my go to. Yeah. Really, it's my go to. Just like a a plate full of it. Uh so for friends giving on Saturday, I cooked chorizo stuffing because I'm a cook. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I cooked uh, chorizo stuffing. So you know you have your normal stuffing and seasoning, but then you also toss in some spicy Italian sausage yeah. as well as chorizo, and it's amazing. There you go. It's just easy. It's easy to bake. That's the thing. It is. I mean, it's the easiest thing to make. Yeah, the All turkey's right. the hard part. Turkey's eh, so hard. Dry brine it. You're good. Cut yeah. it up into quarters. You're great. All right. Uh, I had to carve one, and let me tell you, buddy, it didn't go. Didn't go. Because I didn't. I didn't watch a YouTube video. I just decided to dive in because I am all that is man. And it turns out, nope, not at all. Read the instructions, Daigle. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, stats behind the board. We appreciate you, John Daigle. Thank you, all of you out there. Thank you so much for you, spending some of your Thanksgiving weekend with us. Again, we'll be back. Yes, even this holiday weekend. Rotoworld Live, Sunday, noon Eastern, twitch.tv slash Rotoworld. Again, if you're looking for those uh, Thanksgiving Day previews, then you can go back to yesterday's episode. Also, we'll be back next week. Three more episodes or four, depending on how we feel. Talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.